Direct from Montreal, Canada, this is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon on this uh, January 11th, 2020. On uh, January 10th, yesterday, we found out that Neil Peart of Rush passed away uh, on uh, January 7th. And, uh, well, you know, uh, I'll be honest, this is like the sixth or seventh or eighth time that I've uh, tried doing this intro, and I just, I can't, I just can't do it, man. It's, it's, it's too sad. Um, I would love to sit here and give you, I'm planning, I was planning on giving you this incredibly long eulogy of, of Neil Purton, and I, and I tried uh, one time, two times, three times, and and, and I just the uh, the 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 feelings and the and the sadness that just just overtake me. So I keep trying to do it over. So I think I'm just going to uh, uh, leave it at this. Uh, you know, I, I first saw Neil in in 1981 at the Montreal Forum. Seen the band many many times since, and uh, he he was an innovator. Um, you know, you you came out of the 1960s and 1970s with most bands, not all. I mean, Led Zeppelin was uh, was different, but most bands, the drummers had a very simple setup. You know, it was a floor and, and a tom and a you know a crash, a hi hat. You know, you look at uh, Charlie Watt, you look at some of those, and uh, Neil just had this this incredible kit that just sort of circled him, right? And it, um, uh, anyway, listen. Uh, all right, I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna move along because uh, you know you love the guy. I love the guy, and uh, a lot of respect to uh, to him, to to his family, to uh, Rush fans, to um, associates, you know. And um, um, anyway, uh, all right. Uh, on the phone today is from the band White Lion. Mike Tramp, and, and I apologize for just getting over to it, but uh, I, I have been sitting here for, I don't know, about an hour trying to get this great eulogy, and it's, it's just too difficult. So, uh, Neil, please, uh, thank you for, for the memories. Thank you for all the music. Rest in peace. And, um, folks, please uh, please check out my interview here with uh, Mike Tramp. We are speaking with a singer, Mike Tramp. Mike, as we say in Montreal, bonjour. How are you? Yeah, how's it going there in Canada? <laughs> good, good. It's going great in Canada. So we are going to be seeing each other uh, in early May at the M3 Festival. So let, let's get started with that in terms of coming over to North America. Is the M3 Festival sort of one and done and then you head back over to Europe? Or does it include a few extra dates in and around? What What's sort of the plan for early spring uh, in the yeah, North well, America? We're definitely working on, on some tour dates around the M3. How long the tour will be is yet to be uh, confirmed. Um, I'm working on two different scenarios, and I should know the answer pretty soon and be able to give my agent, you know, some more more time that they can book shows or or or, or less time. You know, it's I'm always waiting for someone else. It's never myself that I'm, I'm you know, I'm dealing with. But hopefully a good amount of shows around that time. Good. I'm looking forward to that. Now, just uh, I just want to get stay on M3 for a second. But how important is it for an artist like yourself to have a festival like M3 and other festivals where you can sort of still come out and play and they can still get you over here 
because um, to me, M3 is one of the greatest festivals around. Uh, just talk to me a little bit about the importance of having this kind of festival. Well, I think for the last five years that I've toured the U.S., every, the fans around the country have, have asked me, hey, are you ever going to play the M3 festival? And I, I always go and say, well, you know, when they call me. Um, I mean, the great thing about festivals are obviously that there are more people than when you play in a club for 75 people. That's for one thing. And, and, and you have a chance to, uh, you know, to show what you're up to and what you're doing. And obviously, you know, compared to and I've said the same thing many, many times compared to what a lot of other of my 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 peers and my my competitors and my comrades from the old hair days are doing you know, Mike Tramp has moved on and, and presenting his, himself in a little bit of a different way in, in 2020, as he has been for the last, you know, six or seven years. Yeah, you see. All right. So um, I want to get on over here to new albums and solo albums. But uh, first, I had put on my Facebook that I was going to be talking to you and uh, a wonderful, wonderful lady who will be at M3 named Jennifer sent a question in. I don't normally do this, but if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you the questions she asked. Is that, is that okay with you? What am I going to say? No. <laughs> All right. So we won't do it. Let's move on. No, no, I'm kidding. But she, but she asked this question. So uh, she says, uh, with each solo album you make, the songs, uh, the songs keep getting better and better. What helps you draw inspiration for such great lyrics and storytelling? Uh, th that's what she asks. So to talk well, about the inspiration, you know, to me, it is all about, you know, following who I am, where I am in my life and speaking the truth. When I sent out on that journey uh, back in 1997, when I recorded and released my first solo album, uh, Capricorn, I decided that I and me and myself would always represent my tramp in the lyrics. I'd already been in White Lion. I'd already had my band Freak of Nature. But once I stepped under the banner of just my own name, I wanted the music, the songs, and the whole concept around it to be about me um, in a way about my life and things like that. I didn't want to have to wake up and, and having to in, in, invent something, stand in front of the mirror and go, what kind of makeup am I, am I going to put on today? What, who am I today? I always just wanted from that day on until the day I leave this earth to just be me, good or bad. And I simply cannot be anyone else. I am the world's best Mike Tramp. It's what I do. It's basic in reality. The only thing that I can do within, you know, the realm of music. See, isn't that perfect? Um... What a great question. What a great question. Uh, let me let me ask you about this, because we, we just got this release sheet from Mighty Music, and it says on May 1st, there is a new Mike Tramp album called Second Time Around. And so you're talking about how the lyrics have to be the best Mike Tramp possible, and they're, they're, it sort of explores who you are. The last one was You're Straying from the Flock. This one is Second Time Around. Is there a message in the name of that title? And then also, let's let's start talking about that that album. Well, you know, compared to uh, Lord of the Rings of Game of Thrones, you can actually go in and out of my solo albums and not be confused in where hell you are. Um, and this one, which basically 
reintroduces some songs that I re- wrote and recorded in different versions earlier on when I was, you know, floating around this this break I had in the middle where I attempted, uh, wrongly attempted, um, a regrettable attempted to do a new version of White Lion. There were times when I stepped into the studio because I felt I had these songs. So, so some of these songs are from early on written at a, at, at a different time. But any time that I listen to anything, it is as current as Stray from the Flock, Nomad, maybe Tomorrow, or even Capricorn. I don't really think um, the issues really change. Um, it's just really just a matter of, of, of 16 years later how much my wife has accused me. Um, the level changes there, but it's still the same goddamn story. Right, that's funny, actually. Now, uh, the first single, The Road, is coming out on February 21st. There is a song on Mike Tramp and the Rock and Roll Circus. Now, this is, I imagine, the same song, but have you taken it over? Have you redone it? Is it an acoustic version? Is it changed well, in any way? or? Well, there will be a story coming along with this album here. When when we finally, you know, go to the next level of 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 introducing, you know, the you know the press release and and you know whatever info you can give around the album, which sort of will explain where that all comes from. Um, so they're very very close. You know, the the whole album will have some written words by me where I explain the second coming of, of, of an album that basically I, I started to do it at one time or another, fell off the edge, got, you know, manipulated by the wrong people, et cetera, et cetera. And therefore wanting to give most of it a second time around, which sort of hence the title. So a lot of it is built around something that a few people know. Okay, and we'll we'll get to discover it, and I'll just tell fans real quick. There is another uh, um, single scheduled for March twentieth, and then April twentieth. Now, with that, is that just sort of a, a rollout in terms of marketing to get the album, or is there some kind of other meaning to rolling out a single every month? Is it you know is it just a marketing thing, or is there some kind of build up to a something else down the road? Or, you know, there are still so many things out there in the modern world that I still haven't caught up with or even show any form of interest in. Um, I still try to 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 keep my songwriting and, and the way I record the songs with the band, et cetera, et cetera, as close to how I walked into the studio the first time when I was just 16 years old and and how most of my heroes went into the studio in the old days. Um, so these days, if I can elaborate it as much as I now can with, with, you know, the digital world and the way th- nothing is physical anymore, you know, it's just the way it is, you know, in the old days, a single was something physical and you could actually buy the physical single in the store, you know, in the old days, it was called a 45, you know, and all these kind of things, you know, I can't keep up with all these kind of things. I, I still use the iPhone five. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's, 
the songs is what matters to me. But when you talk old school in music, you're talking about the best stuff. When you're talking old school in iPhones, that's that's just trouble. But um, <laughs> let me ask you a little bit about this. Over the years, you know, you've had to reinvent yourself. You've done the solo. You did Freak of Nature. One of the things that you've never done is, or not that I'm aware of, you've never become sort of a stay-at-home, I'm going to produce other bands, I'm going to be a manager, I'm going to... Why have you always sort of stayed true to being a singer-songwriter and not ventured out into, I'm going to go produce new bands, I'm going to go write whatever jingles? Why have you sort of stayed true to the vision of, I'm a singer, I'm a songwriter, that's it, that's all? Well, I, I think it's, and I, I've said this to said this before, and and I know a lot of the those who follow me have heard this before too. I'm very realistic and and basically kind of stick to what I can do, and not really venture in. I also don't have an interest in venturing in other places. Um, to to answer quickly, you know. I haven't been given the chance to produce another band. Um, if that was going to happen, I would only say yes if I felt that I could give the band something and not just add my name in a big font on the back of the album. It had to be something that I loved, a band that I loved and wanted to help and give them as much as, as the advice I could give them for the for the 43, almost 44 years I've been in this business, you know, and when it comes to Mike Tramp, you know, and w- without without, you know, you know, jive talking or, or, you know, doing too much harm to myself, I simply only do what I can. I simply only will sing the songs that I can sing and I will not attempt even for a second to be Mike Tramp, 1988, 27 years old. I have to say it, and I know a lot of the world, you can just read the comments on YouTube video clips. There are unfortunately a, st- a lot of old rock and roll singers out there hold, try to holding on to the hair and trying to squeeze out, you know, 10% of the voice they once had. And I, I you know, at sometimes it even hurts me watching some of my heroes try to walk out on stage as fat Elvis, not given their their best anymore because they simply cannot let go of what they once were. And I don't think that's dignity at all. Um, we have to understand, we sometimes rock and roll have also to be be looked upon it as, as, as sports that, you know, when you're not good enough anymore, you leave the field. Or you maybe become a car salesman or or go into sports medicine, a sports commentator and stuff like like that. And, you know, I can't be my tramp 1988. And there's a lot of singers from 1980s who simply cannot do what they're trying to attempt out there. That's interesting. So when you approach a new album like Second Time Around or the next other one or how conscious are you of of writing for the voice you have now? I mean, I'm assuming that the you know the high pitched stuff from the early '80s, that range is sort of gone. I'm assuming. Now you could correct me if I'm wrong. So no, do you... I'm completely right. You're right. I mean, I should even have gone up there in the first place. So so do you? How do you do you approach songwriting differently now because of that? Do do you sort? I mean. Because, you know, it is the lyrics, but eventually you have to sing them. So do you, do you choose different words to sing? How do you sort of approach the whole album making thing in terms of 
being Mike Tramp in 2020? Well, I I mean, the process hasn't changed really for the last 15 years. I mean, you know, when I sit and write a song, you know, I don't have the album in my mind or anything like that. I sit with, you know, every song that I've written, even in White Lion or, or prior to that and ever since, has always just been written on the acoustic guitar. When I wrote with Vito, we sat with the two guitars and we wrote the songs in, in a similar way that Lennon and McCartney has, have, you know, or, or at least Paul McCartney explained of how him and John used to write a lot of the songs. And it's just simple sort of like Dylan-ish, you know, campfire way that if the song works at that level, you know, a big guitars and drums maybe will enhance the song. But from for, for my tram today, I sit there with the acoustic guitar and, and, and if I can't sing the song as I'm writing the song, well, I'm not going to attempt to. I will. I sing what I can sing. It is, so everything is being done right on 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 the spot. It's not something that I make up when I get into the studio and they say, "Oh, you know, I'm going to try to." It's right there. I decide if if I if I have an idea for a nice you know melody that the guitar is playing and then I start singing. I go, "Oh, I like that kind of thing," but you know, it might have to be a little lower and then. I try to work out some new chords or use, you know, the old folk tool called the cable. And then it's, it keeps me within the four walls of my tramp. And as like I've said to, to many people or even to the press and, and many times from the stage, you know, it's like your old grandmother's, you know, spice rack. You know, you have, you know, the first row, you know, salt and pepper on the stand or things. Once you get into like the third row, you might find cardamom or cinnamon and stuff like that and and maybe that's where i am so when you reach for my tramp album that's what you will get something specific and it might not be what you want every day but i want to be there when you feel like having that specific sound and mood right so you're reaching for cardamom so you're 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 the indian food of singing you're not pizza anymore now you're now the the indian food um let, let me ask you then this. You were talking about it, it, it pains you to see some of the, your heroes going out there and trying to do what they used to do. And, and if you're a next football player, you go and do color commentating. Do you watch yourself and listen to yourself and say, man, I've got five more years. I got 10 more years. Are you going to walk away when you feel you can't deliver anymore? Or at some point you just say, you know what? Mick Jagger's still doing it. I'm nowhere near Mick Jagger's age. I can keep... How do you sort of see the future working out in the next five or 10 years? Is there a point where you just say, I'm done. I'm not going to go be Mike Tramp light. If I can't do well, it, I'm done. Well, I mean, yeah, you're correct. I mean, the answer is yes. I will not go up there and laugh at myself. I, you know, I mean, Stones is very, very fortunate. I mean, the Stones are better than a lot of 80s bands, which are probably 30 years younger and and, and, and things like that. So, and, and, and Mick Jagger has been incredible fortunate to actually still have a voice that sounds like Mick Jagger. He still has his full head or hair. I mean, he's, he's very, very lucky in that way. Um, a lot of the 80s singers, including myself, came out and reached for the sky with the vocals. And, and you know, we went with an extreme image that did not grow gracefully old. Um, 
okay, grew old gracefully. Right. And it's just the way it is. And I, I sometimes don't understand a lot of a lot of my some of my heroes to a certain degree, man, are well off financially. And I can tell you what, I mean, if I was in 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 in, in their shoes, I'd stay home. And or I go out with like a, you know, a cool blues band and just, you know, enjoy the road in a different way and stuff like that. I wouldn't try to be up there recreating myself at the height of my career in 1988. And some of the absolutely biggest from that time cannot even reach themselves 50 percent. They can't. Well, so let me ask you this then. How do you take to sort of enhancements? You know what I'm talking about, where you're playing to backing tracks and you've got vocal aids and you've got keyboards dialed in. And do you see yourself at some point using enhancements at a show? Or if you get to that point, you just say, oh, no fucking way. I am not going to be lip syncing to myself. I am not going to be having fake backing vocals. It's either live and real or I'm staying home. No, of course I wouldn't. Then I would be out there touring as 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 Mike Tram's White Lion, you know, playing playing Wade in its original key and and all these songs every single night and and jumping around in some tight pants and you know trying to make my hair maybe look like that. If that was a case, making more money, even though you know I really don't believe that that would ever happen. Um, you know what? It's like the baseball player, you know, with the sandpaper in his back pocket or or or, uh, you know, people accusing Tom Brady of deflating the ball. You know, I don't know. I mean, how, how can you call yourself a winner after there are many ways of enhancing your show? There are many player bands out there using, for example, a keyboard sequencer along with, you know, the guitar player playing something. You know, and, and technology allowed you to do that and things like that. And, you know, I don't think that, um, you know, is the same thing as re as replacing your live vocal with a backing track, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you should never replace yourself with something artificially. You can enhance some of the songs. That's just that's just the way it is today. The, a lot of bands do that. I mean. I saw a metal band one night in, in on a tour in England, man, and you, they were doing soundcheck, and there were like ten other guitars coming out, and I just want, were wondering why did you ever choose to play rock and roll? But I think it's just a lot of bands hearing other bands, and they f feel the sound is fuller, and they don't trust enough in themselves, and feel that that will make the show better, etc. But the issue that you know Kiss were fighting for such a long time, and then once again. We managed to get Kiss into the conversation where it's 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 so obvious what's going on. Meanwhile, the ticket prices are higher than than ever before the show. I don't understand the point of that. I don't understand the point of that for one second. Neither do I. And and by the way, some bands in in arenas have also started in uh, with crowd noise. They add crowd noise to make it sound more exciting and bigger. And it's just like. Wow, we started off with fake backing vocals. Now we went to fake vocals. Now we're going to fake audience. I mean, <laughs> the whole experience. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's kind of like wearing, you know, magnifying glasses when you have sex. Your manhood looks much bigger than it is. And maybe it'll boost your ego. You know, I mean, come on. You know, at the end of the day, you are who you are and you have to look yourself 
in the mirror, regardless if you take you put your wig on when you sleep or take it off. You know, it's just the way it is. And I think that deep down inside, us who are rock and roll fans will love you the way you are, but just be who you are. I agree. And and you mentioned money there for a second. There is, of course, money in a brand name. You did do Mike Tramp's White Lion, and you're not happy that you did that. But at some point, you you somebody could say to you, hey, why don't we just call it White Lion, and you'll make five times the guarantee. Why does that not appeal to you? Well, I mean, to start with the first thing, it doesn't because, you know, it, it just took me a little a little time to really get to that point. And I actually started, you know, both listening to um, a couple of, 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 of uh, things that Vito had said on the, in the only interview had, he had done with A.D. Trunk and later on a couple of different conversations that I had with Vito. And, and, and one time Vito said to me, you know, he says, Mike, man, I don't want to turn YouTube on and see somebody playing, uh, you know, the single, the, the solo to When the Children Cry. And underneath it's saying White Lion when it's not White Lion. And it just took me a little bit time to understand that White Lion was Vito and I, you know, and James and Greg on the Pride album. That was White Lion right there. And when that band is not together anymore, it is not White Lion and it cannot be White Lion. It was just my weakness that for a, for a short time sold out and thought it actually would be okay to get back on a festival stage or in front of a bigger crowd. But the truth of the matter is the crowd did not get much bigger and also didn't the money. So therefore, it, it was not worth it for any reason. Yeah, well, I agree. And and by the way, Pride, it was such a great or such a great defining moment for me. The artwork was perfect. The songs were great. It was it was just a magical, magical that's time. You know? I mean, that's just who we were. And we have to accept we have to accept that the, 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 the what Beatle and I did, that we let the, James and Greg go. And 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 then in in ninety one, I decided to tell Vito, tomorrow is the final show, and we called it quit, and we didn't fight for it, and nobody now in, in our organization, including our managers, our record company, our publicists, our t shirt company, nobody fought for the band, so we took that as the band is done. Well, it's it, it's unfortunate, and, and I'll just ask you this quickly on main attraction, twenty twenty one will be 30 years since that album came out. How do you sort of look at Main Attraction? Was that the beginning of the end and you have all kinds of bad memories? Or is that, hey, you know what? That was still a great album. That was still a good time. That's a a masterpiece of Vito Brada Brada and and my songwriting. The Main Attraction should have been the, the, the big game album. We should have been given the, 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 the time off after the two-year Pride tour to really find ourselves before we got back in the studio, before we got pushed up against the wall to write the songs for the Big Game album. The Big Game album has great songs, but it's an unfinished album. Vito and I, as as the songwriters, but also as the main force in the band, never got a chance to even have just, you know, like a hair mask in our hair before we were back out on tour with a new album supporting Ozzy Osbourne. We needed we needed at least half a year to three quarters of the year off before we even started writing new songs 
just to just to be able to grow and 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 you know come up with a bit of variety that didn't happen we 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 were not strong enough we didn't know how to how to dig our heels into the ground and say no we want to take a break and stuff like that we did that after the big game album says we're not going into the studio before we're done with the songs and when we went into the studio with a song from for big game out uh, for the main attraction album we were we were really ready Unfortunately, you know, not just for us, but for a lot of other bands, we were now starting in the 90s and the 90s were starting producing a different sound. MTV almost turned their backs on on us and a lot of other bands. And and it, it became suddenly an uphill battle if you had long, good looking hair. Yeah. Yeah. No how now, I I've never had that problem with with no, <laughs> good but, yeah. no. but uh I will remind folks that May 1st it's second time around and of course the M3 festival um hopefully the album will be on sale at M3 hopefully. But uh, Mike uh, always a pleasure toujours un plaisir as we say in Montreal. Uh merci, thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. It's always my pleasure and I'm always grateful to anyone who chooses to listen to me speak my mind. Well, you know what? I got to say, when I, when we do an interview show with you, uh, the numbers go right through the roof. There There is a great passion for listening to you. And uh, it, it's just nice also to, to talk about other stuff than, are you doing a right line reunion with Vito? I mean, that question is so... Well, the, the thing is, Mitch, is, you know what? I enjoyed the eighties and I enjoyed the decadence. I enjoyed watching some of the other bands go over the top. I mean, I never got a chance to really go over the top, but some of the other bands were better at it. I enjoyed, it was a decade. It ended, then came grunge. And then after that, whatever ended up as rock and roll became just like, you know, a little bit of, 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 of something that once was, but never really got back there. I just remember a good time and and it, it's just like i also remember a happy childhood it's not anymore so i have to live with the reality and i and and i seek artists who speak their mind and are able to to say that was then it is no longer that anymore no it isn't and uh, there you go and second time around may 1st of 2020 so coming up in a few months and uh, there you go merci monsieur thank you you're very welcome thank you very much mitch here's paul stanley to tell you why he doesn't want to shake your hand some people might have a little rock and roll pneumonia Ugh, not even cold gin will kill those germs this is rock talk with mitch lafon